0: So I left uh I left about ten verses unchecked last week and uh and Mark promises to do the same this week. So we uh I I laughed and said, Okay, so we may get through uh chapter four by the end of this ten weeks and we'll do five and six next summer. So how's that sound, everybody? Get, we'll leave you on a on a cliffhanger. No, I'm just kidding. We'll we will uh we'll push through and uh and get there, but uh, I think the Lord's doing some really cool stuff in these, uh, these last few verses we've been in. So uh, as the Lord has had us pause for a reason, we want you to just pause with us. There's something here uh, that's big that we want to uh, pay attention to when the Lord says, okay, let's slow down and really look here. So uh, I'm going to pray and uh, and bring Mark up. God, we uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here and in our midst. We thank you that your promise to us is to lead us into all truth. And we know that truth only comes from you. And so an encounter with you is the only way that we grow in truth. And so we just welcome your truth this morning. Uh, Ask that our hearts and our minds would be uh, awake and available to what you want to speak over us. Because at the end of the day, God, we know where there is truth, of the Lord, that there is transformation in us if we choose to uh, receive it and then live it out. So we just, uh, we welcome transformation. We ask for transformation uh, because we know you want to make us look more like Jesus today, and we welcome that. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that your presence is here and that you are continuously good, that your goodness never changes. So we thank you for that, uh, and we just ask for truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: And um, we're actually, we're going to backtrack some, uh, just a little bit, into chapter 3, and I'm going to bring some thought process forward from where I taught you a couple of weeks ago. Get this powered up. Uh, Because chapter 4, you remember the Bible is not written, of course, in chapters and verses. We, man has divided that up, and that's okay, that's a good way for us to be able to, to study it and and kind of keep track of it and remember it. But uh, this is a letter, so it's a continuation of thought. And so it's a building of thought process all the way through. So Paul starts out by, by, by beginning the thought process, and he is continuing it on. And he's using some illustration in there. And you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about wills. You remember this word codicil? Anybody remember that? Some of you didn't even know. somebody. I think it was Dave Miller. He's not here this morning, so I'll embarrass him. He said, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a codicil. I said, come on, Dave. You know, you know that. So we talked about wills and codicils a little bit, and I'm familiar with that because Paul tries to use some language that they were familiar with and some concepts that they were familiar with. And as Kendall was teaching last week, He introduced something to us, and I want us to capitalize on this and kind of refresh your memory as well. But in chapter 2 of verse 4, it talks about a maturity date or a date set by the father, which was the date of inheritance of a child. And in their Roman culture, what they did was is that the father decided when it was time for the children, for his heirs, Remember this word heir. We're going to go back to this word several times today. He would uh, decide when his heirs, when his children would receive not only their inheritance, but actually that they would come into adulthood. And that was a time that was set forth by him, and he chose that time. And at that time, he would bestow upon his children, he would transfer, he would... uh, his assets, the things that he owned, his possessions, and they would begin to come into their inheritance while the father was living and while they were living, and they would begin to enjoy the things that the father owned and the things that were his. And as part of that concept, he was teaching them stewardship of the things which he owned because he would not let them have full control of it until they had come to a point in their life where they were fully mature and had proven themselves that they could steward the things which did not belong to them. They actually belonged to the Father, but the Father decided, I'm going to begin to let you enjoy these things which I have. And that was a date that was set by the Father. Until that time, they were kept in a guardianship. This is the word tutor. We've talked about this now for about two or three weeks where he introduces this concept. He wants to remind them that this is like, okay, this, this kingdom inheritance, who you are as God's children. This is like when the uh, uh, you were a child and in their Roman culture in their, and in Greek society as well, they had these tutors who were more than just somebody who taught somebody a lesson. They were actually guardians. They worked for the father. They were his employee. Many times in their culture, they were actually slaves. And they were given charge over the children. And they would teach the children and actually help to rear the children and bring them into stewardship and bring them into maturity. And he says that this is what the law was. Remember, we talked about that. That the law... Was a tutor or a guardian. It is that which teaches you and keeps you and helps you to mature, that the law is a guardian to you. But you are, there was the, the uh, we introduced the concept of the promise, remember, the promise, that there were, was a child of the promise or there is one righteous seed. And so that's kind of where I want to go back to this week because the things which Kendall was introducing and really talking to us about last time in verse 3 about the ABCs of the world, of learning your, your elementary or, or rudimentary things of the world. In verse 4, the fullness of time set by the Father. The, also, the virgin birth enters into that. I hope I can get to that today. I want to capitalize on that. I think this is something we need to understand Uh, maybe in a little bit more depth. And then redemption's work in verse (laughs) 5 is played out and seen. Now, I think uh, as I was studying this and trying to move forward, and I'm going to try to cover as much of chapter 4 as I possibly can today, but we are at a critical point here in chapter 4, I believe that we really need to nail down. We need to understand this. Because the Lord is trying, and Paul, the Lord through Paul is trying to really relate to these Galatian people and to you and I, who we are in Jesus Christ and how we have entered into a relationship with our heavenly Father and what we have inherited and how we inherited it, I think we really need to nail these concepts down. And if you nail it down, this is going to help you tremendously. It'll, it'll make all kinds of things in Scripture really begin to make sense. You know, a lot of times we, get, we pull concepts out of Scripture. And we get this concept here, and we get this concept here. And we have all these concepts kind of floating around out there, kind of like bubbles. And we have a hard time tying that all together. Does that all, does it all make sense? Uh, Does one thing build on another? And the truth of the matter is the Word of God from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 21, everything is building on one, one building block upon another. It's not abstract concepts. Everything flows together. It all fits together. It's like working a jigsaw puzzle. There's a whole lot of pieces, and it's cut up. But when you begin to get the big picture, and you see that picture, I don't know how you work a puzzle, but the only way I can work one, i got to have a picture on the front of the box. If I didn't have the picture on the front of the box, I couldn't work the puzzle because I can see it, and then I begin to piece it all together. And this is how it is with studying Scripture And this is one of those concepts about spiritual adoption and such that we really, really need to spend some time on and uh, get a good handle on. So I hope you brought your tennis shoes because you're going to need them because we're going to run today. We're going to run today. All right, so hold your place there in chapter 4, and let's just back up to chapter 3, and I want to bring some things forward beginning with verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside and adds conditions to it. So God has brought us into a covenant relationship, and I likened this covenant, and I'm just going to abbreviate some things here, I likened that in our language to a will that God has instituted a will now when you make a will the only person who can make the will is the person of course who has a capacity that is legal capacity mental capacity and so forth to make a will so it's usually adult people who make who make wills okay your parents may have one if you're young person if you're if you're in adulthood and especially if you have children you need a will I'll talk to you more about that later I'm not an attorney, but you need a will. And I can tell you a whole lot of reasons why you need a will. All right. So God has entered into covenant relationship with man. man. He has made the covenant. He has drawn up the will, if you will. (laughs) Sorry. He has drawn up the will. The only person that you know who can change a will. The one who made it and only the one who made it. No one else can change a will. Once a will has been set forth, it's legally drafted, so forth, been recognized, has been witnessed, and all the things that a will has to do, the only person who can ever change the will is the person who made the will. No one else can do anything to the will. Okay. So God entered into covenant relationship with man. He drafted the will. Only he can make the covenant, only he can make the will, and only he can make changes to the will or to the covenant. Okay, Only he can do that because he's the testator. He's the only one that can do that. All right, <clears throat> so as he does that, he says to Abraham, Abraham, <clears throat> I am going to issue you this promise. This is the covenant between you and me. That I am going to make your descendants as the sands of the seashore. All the generations who come after you, Abraham, are going to be blessed through you, through your righteous, what? Heard it? Mm-hmm. Speak loud, speak proud. Seed, okay? Now, <clears throat> I want us to understand that there, this is not plural, seeds. This is extremely important. There is one seed. He says, I'm making a covenant with you through your righteous seed, singular. All of the nations of the world are going to be blessed through your seed. This is the covenant I make with you, Abraham. I've chosen you. I've called you up out of the Ur of the Chaldees, out of the Chaldean people. You're going to follow me. Abraham says, yes, I will follow you. Abraham says, I want to be a part of this covenant. I will follow you. I will do what you ask of me to do. So God sets forth the terms of the covenant. He sets forth the terms of the will. Only he can change the will. He's the only one who dictates the terms of the will. Abraham says, yes, I want to enter into relationship with you. And I believe that you will do what you say that you will do. I believe that this is the truth that you're going to bless me through my seed that is yet to come. The promise. Now, God did something. Later on, he made a codicil. Remember that word, to the will. And this is the law. He did not change his will. He did not change the covenant. But if I draft a will for the benefit of my wife and for the benefit of my children, I can change my will <coughs> without negating my will. And I do that by this word codicil. I make an amendment to it. It's all it is. That's all it is. I make an amendment. Because something else has arisen over time that when I drafted my original will, when I made that original covenant, something unforeseen happened that I didn't count on, so I want to take care of that. Maybe I adopted a child. Maybe I had a child which passed away. You know, all kinds of things could happen, and so I make a change. Now, I'm not going to change my will. I'm just going to add something. I'm going to make an amendment. Or I've, choos- I've chosen that I want to benefit a charity or do something like that, part of my estate to go to a, to a charity. And so I just make this change. <clears throat> and it's in order to take care of a problem that has arisen. And Paul says that the law is this guardian, this tutor, that came about later on subsequent to the promise or the will, or the covenant, it doesn't change any of this. God has not changed the will. He has just taken care of a problem that has arisen. And the problem was is that mankind needed a tutor, needed a guardian, needed someone or something that would come along beside them and teach them what it is that they were lacking. And what they were lacking, what you and I lacked as as human beings is, is that we needed this law to show us and prove to us that we needed to be we needed to be able to be a part of this covenant which God had made and to show us that we could not earn it or deserve it it also brought law and order to the world in which man was living because man was multiplying there was getting to be more and more people and there needed to be some order And the law did that. So he changed, he added to his will. He did not change it. He did not change the terms of the promise. He did not change even the beneficiary of the will. He just made an amendment to the will in the form of a codicil. That's how you do that. Now, Paul is using a lot of this very language and this concept to get these Galatian people to understand who they are and how they have come into relationship with the Heavenly Father. Okay? So this is not language that's just wasted. I'm just changing some of these words around to make it a little bit more modern and something that that you and I could relate to maybe a little bit more easily. Things that we have heard terms that we are a little bit more familiar with in today's language. So Verse 16 of 3. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his, what? Offspring. Offspring, his seed, singular. Very important. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. Have you ever wondered why God... decided that Abraham and Sarah would only have one child. You ever thought about that? That they would only have one child between the union of the two of them. Very important. Back in Genesis, God was showing man this is the plan. There will be one righteous seed. There will be one and only one true heir to the promise. One and only one. For God so loved the world that he gave his own only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. That's why it was important that Abram take Isaac up to the mount when God said there, I want you to take the boy and make sacrifice. Because God was already showing this is the pattern for one righteous seed because I will have one son and he will have to sacrifice for the benefit of everybody else. There's something that crossed my mind. <laughs> had to work that one out. Okay, so he has the one child Very important. There's one righteous seed. There are not many seeds. There are not many others. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So the will was set. God added the law. Did not change the promise. There is still only one way to enter into relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that's through the covenant relationship that is brought about by the one righteous seed, not by the law. This is where man got off track. (laughs) And this is where we all tend to get off track, every one of us. I'm not being critical of Jewish people of the past. What I'm saying is this is man's tendency. We take something that is an addition that God has done, that God has used, that God has instituted. It is his And he added it later on, but we tend to take something like the law and we elevate it above the promise. And what they had done is is they began to say and practice that the law is more important than the promise or the willed relationship that the father had originally set out. Do you see that? They took the law and the practice of the law and the practice of religion and they elevated this above this. And this is why Paul is saying in this very verse that that is wrong. Look at that again. What I'm saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. This which was an amendment does ne- never supersedes the will. It's just part of it. But it cannot be elevated and it does not supersede. The only way that God ever set forth for man to come into relationship with him was through covenant relationship that was going to be brought about through one righteous seed. One righteous seed. That's one reason why Abraham did not have many children was Sarah he had one his name was Isaac he was the only one righteous or he was the only true seed of Abraham Abraham had other children we're going to talk about that in a few minutes the reason I'm bringing all this forward is is because he brings all this back in in chapter 4 where we're really where we're really studying today but you you got to bring you got to bring all this you got to bring it all forward (coughs) For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. There is no way to inherit eternal life except by the covenant relationship which God set forth. He is the only one who could change that if he wanted to change it. He never changed that. He only added to that, but he never changed the original promise. Still one way through one righteous seed that you inherit. Why the law then, it has been added because of transgressions, been ordained by angels, by the legacy of a mediator, until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Okay? All right. Now, I probably, believe me, just hang with me. We're going to get there. All right. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. That is, these children that were under the tutelage of these guardians, okay? Under the guardianship of these guardians. They were not, they were a child or they are uh, a uh, heir of the father, but they were not enjoying the things yet because the time had not come for them to enjoy all the things that the Father owned. But He is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father, okay, until He comes to maturity. So also, we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world, that is, sin nature, elemental things of the world, sin nature. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is extremely important. Hold your place there. I touched on, uh, uh, Kendall touched on this last week. I touched on it the week before. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and there is recounted the lineage of Jesus Christ, and remember I said that a lot of times we choose to skip over this kind of stuff, we don't think it's real important, we forget, we don't remember who begat who, and why is it important, look here at beginning in verse 1, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... To Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah and his brothers. So forth, so on. There's Verse 17, if you look at that, there's 14 generations between certain events and certain people coming about. Now, <clears throat> Jesus' lineage, look back at, uh, at that verse that I just read there in Galatians. In verse 4, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why does Christ's genealogy through Mary cease at Abraham? Why not trace him all the way back to Adam? Promise wasn't given to Adam. Good. The promise was given to Abraham. Adam had a problem, right? And it wasn't Eve. <laughs> we like to blame her. But Adam had a problem. What was it? He was disobedient. He, was disobedient. he sinned. And because he sinned, everyone who comes out of the lineage of Adam has a sin nature. Everyone who is born from the lineage of Adam, and that's you and I, has a sin nature because that is our father. The sin nature was never inherited through a woman. <laughs> Tiffany, you wanna say amen? <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is important. Sin nature in mankind was never passed down through the seed of the woman. It's through the seed of Adam. You are a sin. You have a sin nature in you because your father is Adam. Who is Christ's father? God. <laughs> a good answer. <laughs> God, the Father, the Heavenly Father. He was born of a woman so that he was human like you and I. He came in the form of a man. He was born just like you and I were born. He was gestated in his mother for nine months. He's born just like any other child is born. He has all the human characteristics. He looks like a man whom he created, by the way. And he came into being through his mother. But his genealogy stops at Abraham because the Lord says there was something that happened with Abraham that stopped or had the ability to stop this sin nature problem that was inherited through Adam and that was I made a covenant with Abraham and I said I willed it to be so that all the children that will come through the promise the righteous seed Of Abraham will be blessed for all generations. So, Mary's lineage is only taken back to Abraham because that's where the covenant relationship began. Jesus never inherited a sin nature like you and I, he was not born of Adam, he was born of his father. Because, see, you inherit. I know it's different in our society today, but in their society, everything was inherited from the father. Everything was passed down by the father. The mother had no right to pass anything along to anybody, it was all about daddy. It was all about daddy. Okay? Does this make sense? Does this make make sense? Okay, I don't want to lose you here. Very important that we understand why he is born of Mary and he has not inherited a sin nature in all of this. But yet he is born under the law. Why was it important that he be born under the law? Kendall talked about this last week. Why is it important that Christ be born in the time that the law was in full effect? And in its f- the law. Absolutely. Because he did not come to what? He didn't come to do away with the law, he didn't come to cast it away. He came to fulfill the law. Only he could fulfill the law. Only he could do that because he is the one righteous seed, okay? He is born of his father He did not inherit a sin nature from his father because his father has no sin nature. He's not related to Adam, but he is related to Mary. Therefore, he is a human being who comes in fullness. The fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Jesus Christ. He was the fulfillment and the personification of it. He showed us what it was all about. He showed us who God is. He was God who came incarnate in the flesh, Through, born by means of this natural childbirth through Mary, okay? So he does all of that. He comes to fulfill the law. He's under the law in order that he might redeem those who were under the law. He had to, there had to be somebody who could redeem us from this sin nature that we inherited from our father, Adam. And only the one righteous seed who is the Heir of the promise, the heir of the covenant, the heir of the will, only he is able to do that. And because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You can identify and know that you are a child of God because your, your spirit bears witness, or his spirit, I should say, bears witness with your spirit that I am in relationship with the heavenly father. He is my father. Abba, Father, Papa, he is my daddy. He's my dad. He's my father. He's not an abstract God. He's not some deity just out here in space somewhere. We don't know where he lives. And he's just out there, and he's going to do something good for me, I think. No. He says, you know your spirit identifies, or his spirit identifies with your spirit when you have come into relationship with him through the one righteous seed who is the son, and it bears witness with you that you cry out and say, Abba, Father, that he's my father. He's my dad. He's my papa. I now have a relationship with this God. He's not some far-off abstract idea. He's my dad. He's my dad. He's just that close to me verse 7 therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through god however at that time when you did not know god you were slaves to those who to those which by nature are no gods and so he begins to talk to them about how they have reverted back and have come under bondage because they have left their relationship Uh, their focus on their relationship with their father, their heavenly father, their daddy, the Abba, the Papa of them, they have forgotten about that. And now they are beginning to do some things. And he talks about that they're beginning to keep the seasons and the festivities and they're beginning to observe certain times of the year and they're beginning to do this and do that and all this. And he says, look, that's a trap. Y'all are falling into a trap. You're reverting back to what you used to do. All of that is nothing but religious practice. And you are abandoning your relationship with your father. You're abandoning that and you're preferring religious practice because remember I told you that what we tend to do is, is we elevate the rules, the regulations, the law ahead of the promise and saying that by my keeping Of these things and doing these things and observing these things and keeping all these rules, then then I'm in good relationship with the Father. And Paul says, no, (laughs) you came into relationship with the Father through this one righteous seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the only way you ever entered into this relationship. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're not going to cover all this today, Kendall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because now that you have had a little bit of education in wills, now you need to know about something else. Trusts. Trusts. Trusts are an instruments that are, that are set up <clears throat> to convey the property, the assets of a person. It can come alongside of a will. It can be, actually be part of a will. You can have a trust. Now, what, a lot, what usually happens is people who have a lot of assets <coughs> will make for themselves uh, a trust. So we have a wealthy, a wealthy man right here. Now, <coughs> if you're a wealthy person, what are some of the assets that wealthy people have that they need to transfer to their heirs? Remember, we're talking about this concept of airship. Money, land, land, all those things. You can have all kinds of stuff. It's everything that you own. This is your estate, okay? It is your estate. It's everything that you possess, everything that you have possession of. So you can have land. Oh, you can have money. You can have, uh, you can have cattle, animals, good, that's right. You can own uh, uh, precious metal, gold, oil, Oil. we're 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 talking about a wealthy man. A wealthy man. He's got all this stuff and he wants to transfer this to his rightful heirs. Now, one reason that we do trusts today is because usually we're trying to <laughs> help get around uh, this entity that's been created by our federal government that goes by some initials. the IRS. Because we want our children, we want our beneficiaries, we want our kids, our grandkids, whomever, we want them to benefit from all of the stuff that we have, but we don't want them to get too much of it. They're going to get some of it. Sorry, they are going to get some of it, but we don't want them to get too much of it. So we transfer all of these things into a trust for the benefit of our heirs. Now, a trust can be a living trust, and for This is just, this is not how, this is not indicative of any particular trust, okay? I'm just using this for illustrative purposes. Big word, can't spell it. Okay, illustrative purposes. So you can have a living trust, and this living trust, you can transfer all of your assets into this trust. And you can enjoy this trust you can enjoy all of your assets you're just moving it over to a trust you've created an entity you've put it in it okay now <clears throat> what you're trying to do is is you're trying to transfer all of this down to an heir right here or heirs plural you're trying to disperse your stuff <clears throat> to through this means of a trust down to this heir. And then if the heir has heirs, then that's you want maybe you want it to go to there. But just like a will, whomever creates the trust, whoever sets up the trust, is the only one who can make changes to the trust, who can say what the trust does. You fully have control over all of this stuff. All you're doing is transferring the use of it so that somebody else can enjoy it, can enjoy what you have put together, okay? So, <clears throat> you got all this stuff, and you're trying to, to move it, and you're trying to move it out to this, to this air. Now, <clears throat> hold your place there in Galatians, and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verses 15 through 18. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. This sounds a lot like this language that we just read in Galatians. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Same phraseology that we just read. The Spirit himself bears witness that Our spirit, with our spirit, that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. And I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. Now, Paul wants these Romans and these Galatians to understand who they are and how they've entered into relationship with this Father and that He is indeed their Father and that all of this is based on relationship. It's not based on rule-keeping. It's not based on the law. It's not based on what you do, what you don't do. It is based on the covenant relationship that comes from from one righteous seed. Now, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. To understand scripture, you got to use a whole lot of other scripture. A lot of time. Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. So this wealthy person, as you can well imagine, because I'm so <clears throat> uh, <Greg>? no <laughs> creative, is God himself. This is God. He owns it all, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills in which they're on. He owns the money. He owns the oil underneath the ground. He owns it all. He owns the gold and the silver and all those types of things. He says, I want to, my heir, I have one heir. Right? Look back at Hebrews. This is what the writer in Hebrews says. In the last days he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. This heir enjoys everything that belongs to the Father. Everything that has been transferred into this trust, into this living trust, this heir enjoys all of it. He is appointed. He is the heir. He is the rightful owner of everything that this person owns. He is the heir. He's one heir. And again, this heirship or this seedship is singular. There is one heir to all of this. There's one heir, so <clears throat> verse three, and he is the radiance, and he is the radiance of his glory. That is the glory of the Father, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things uh, by the world of his power, by the word of his power. When he had made purification, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So everything that belongs to this man has been transferred, this is just for illustration purposes, has been transferred to a trust for the benefit of his heir. Now this man still, he still enjoys everything that's in this trust, but also he has made it possible for this person, whom is, is his heir, to enjoy everything that is in his trust as well. So they own it all together now. It's all theirs. It belongs to them, everything that's there. But there is a problem there are. Uh, he just has this one heir. But this man is a very uh, is a very benevolent person, and he sees all these other persons that are out here, that are not enjoying all the stuff that he and his son enjoy, and so he wants them to be able to enjoy all the things that he and his one heir he is he wants to give it away to someone else but in his will he said I can only give it to one I can only give it to this one heir this one heir he's the one that's going to inherit it all but I see all these other people that I want them to be able to enjoy this so what does he do he says in Romans 8 that if you partake of the suffering that his heir goes through, then all of these persons who partake of this same suffering, who partake of the death of Christ, become adopted as sons, and you inherit everything that is in this trust. Everything that this wealthy man owns, you inherit it. How do you inherit it? You inherit it through partaking of the suffering of the heir. You must partake of the death of Jesus Christ in order to enter into this relationship. And now all these persons are adopted as this man's children. And now they are all also heirs with this heir. Have you ever heard that you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Somebody needs to say amen. Somebody needs to say it real loud. (laughs) Because the Father, who is this wealthy man in my illustration here, has chosen... To do all of this, he chose to do it. Now, he set forth the terms in the very beginning and says, You cannot inherit unless you inherit through my direct heir, which there is only one of. So, he sets the terms and says, this is how you get to partake with my heir and you can become a joint heir alongside of him if you partake in his sufferings, if you partake in his death, if you recognize that he is the one righteous heir, if you recognize that he is the one and the only one and you decide that, yes, I do want to have a relationship with his father. I understand that I can only have the relationship and be adopted and enter into this familyhood of this this one father, that I can only do that by partaking of the heir. I got to do it by the means which he has set forth in his will that says you can inherit if you do this. And we choose to do that. And we become what we call saved we are, as Kendall talked about last week, we are redeemed. We turn in the toys, the stuff that is ours. We turn in our will. We turn in our lives. We turn in our wants and our stuff, and we turn it in and say, I want this stuff redeemed, please. This was my elementary, rudimentary stuff. Father, I give it back to you. And then the father says, Now, now you're an heir. Now you're an heir. Now everything that I have, son, daughter, Everything is yours. It's yours. I transfer it to you. I give it to you. Because you have chosen to partake with the air. You've chosen to come into relationship the way that I told you. You had to come into relationship. And now I adopt you. And once I have adopted you, In Roman culture, once I have adopted you, I can never disown you. You will never fall from grace. You can't be bad enough. You can't do stuff that's going to disinherit you from the Father. When the Father says, I adopt you as my, my child, you are my child Forevermore. And I cannot disinherit you. And I cannot take away from you. You're mine. And you partake. That's part of A. (laughs) That's part A of who you are. (laughs) This is how you get there.